we were talking about prayer the last two Sundays, and I planned on continuing to talking about prayer, but then the Holy Spirit messed me all up, as he does sometimes. <laughs> um, and that's why I can't ever do a series, because I can never finish a series, because I don't know if it's that some, one of you guys need to hear it, or somebody needs to hear it, or whatever it is, but when I pray, especially on Sunday mornings when I get up here and pray, um, he'll either confirm what I think that I need to be talking about, or he'll say, no, <laughs> get rid of everything you've been studying and start over. And I'm like, sweet, no pressure at all. I've got to figure it all out over again. Um, but what this comes from really is, is more of my life recently. I've, I've started, as many of you know, I've started to throw out a lot of what we've been talking about here to other pastors that I know and other friends that I trust. And people that we can just go back and forth, that we won't be offended by each, other, by each other's, um, we're not debating to win arguments or anything, we're just throwing ideas back and forth and how that works. And I tell you what, it's been very good, and I encourage you to do that. Um, if there are questions you have, I encourage you to get with people, not just like-minded people, but people that may not agree with you, and talk about it. But be careful not to, to uh, <laughs> I'm trying, try not to be distracted. Um, but be careful that you don't, uh, break relationship, or continue to love people through disagreements. Because what can happen is if you disagree on something and things begin to escalate, a lot of times you can begin to break, uh, break relationship with them or you can feel like they don't love you. Or, I always put that paramount. Anytime we, uh, any of my friends begin to talk back and forth or text back and forth or email or whatever it is, I constantly reassure them that I'm not against them and I'm not trying to prove them wrong. I want to figure this stuff out as much as they do, Right. I mean, don't we all want to figure this stuff out? This isn't, this isn't, I know better than you, you know better than me. I want to know. I want to know this. And there was a, there was a few key words that, that came up in some conversations most recently that stuck with me, and I try, I try really hard to listen. And many of you know it's hard to listen sometimes. I try really hard to listen to the Holy Spirit. I try really hard to listen to other people's perspectives and their views. <clears throat> and what I found myself listening to and hearing a lot of was two key words. One was um, close I want to be close to God. Has anybody ever heard that? I want to be close to God. And then the other one was presence. I want to be in his presence. I want to enter into his presence. So I heard these two key words as we were in several conversations with several different people. I'm not going to call out names. But we were having, we were having conversations. I kept hearing these key words pop up. And I kept thinking, we need, to, we need to nail this down. Before we can go any further with anything, we need to nail down what this looks like. Is there distance between us and God? And if there is, what creates it and what doesn't, <laughs> right? How do we get closer to God? And presence, how do we enter into his presence? Have you ever heard that? We enter into his presence. How do we feel his presence is another phrase. And what we found as we began to discuss this, we were mostly on the same page, but it was the terminology that we used that differed, right? We would say things, and I've said it many times before, I just want to be in his presence, right? I want to feel his presence. I want to be in his presence. Well, if Christ is in us, if the Holy Spirit is in us, do we, do we ever separate ourselves from that presence? I don't think that we do. I don't think that he is ever far from us. Um, and so when we, when we start talking about this, if, and this is the question I asked, if, if, we, can get, if we can get closer and if we say as leaders in churches, if we say um, that you need to get closer to God, then you're implying that there are times then you're not close to God. By, by, by default, there are going to be times that you're not close to God. And so I always heard this and I always struggled with that, like I really need to try harder. And usually the, the cookie cutter answers are, well, how do I get closer? Does anybody know? What are the cookie cutter church answers? Pray more, read more, worship more, more. All centered around who? Me, right? 
all centered around me. I need to pray more. I need to worship more. I need to get in his presence. I need to do these things. When my Bible says that he did everything. Amen. He did it all. I mean, everything. He didn't kind of do it. He didn't halfway do it. He, he said, it's finished. This is done. Sin's a done deal. Now, what we find is when we begin to discover this, we don't always feel that way, right? Uh, me too. I don't always feel that way. There are times, Sunday mornings, I know, I'm the pastor, but I, Sunday, some Sunday mornings, I don't feel like worshiping, per se, or I don't feel like I've got other things in my mind, or I'm stressed out, or I just don't feel it. I don't feel the tingly feeling, or whatever it is. But my faith isn't based on my feelings, is it? Our faith is not based on our feelings. It doesn't mean we don't have feelings. It doesn't mean God doesn't care about our feelings. But my faith and my trust is not in my feelings. It can't be, because my feelings are messed up. <laughs> they can be messed up. They can be wrong, right? My feelings fluctuate. They're not constant. They're not solid. They're, they ebb and flow, and they react to different things, right? It's, it's a completely different level. So when we say we want to feel his presence, I can go along with that, but when we want to enter his presence, I have a problem with that because I don't think we ever exit his presence. I say that because we need, we, need to, we need to have that grasp before we can branch out into sharing this with other people because when we hear this terminology, I'm not saying you need to correct it, but we need to understand it clearer and ask those questions because that was the questions I asked. Okay, well, how? Why? How are you distant? How are you close? What does that? And when we say, me, 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 then you're saying you believe in a you-centered Christianity, and that's not what I believe. Christianity, Christ-centered, Christocentric, hermeneutic. This is, this is what we believe. I mean, as, as Christians in our church, we believe in Christ. He did it all. Done deal. So if we believe that, that in and of itself should change our perspective on everything else. So this whole, I know we've been talking about prayer, and this can kind of tie in with it, but this is going to be more for the, for the people or for the person. I don't know who it's for. Um, it could be for me, for all I know, um, that, that's struggling or feels, I don't know, feels down or life, doesn't feel like they're close to God or doesn't feel like things are going well, if that makes any sense. I feel like this is for the person that has, has, feels like they need passion or zeal. They need a, a, a boost or something. Does that make sense? I feel like this, is, this message is for, for those people, and like I said, maybe me. I don't know. So what, what springboarded it was from last week when we were in Matthew, and this is from the message, and I'll bounce back and forth between message and NIV today. Um, but I like Eugene Peterson's version of this, and you've heard me say it several times. Uh, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. <clears throat> Excuse me. Get a drink of water real quick. Are you tired? <laughs> worn out, burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, learn, that's always from Judah Smith when he said, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, I always remember that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What I like about this, especially right in the middle of it, it says, watch how I do it. Now, what we do, our tendency is to watch how he does it and try to mimic it, right? Let's watch how Jesus does it and do it like Jesus did it. But that's not what we're called to do, and that's not what the Bible tells us to do. That's what religion says to do. Try to be something you're not. You can't be something that you're not. 
You can try. That's what hypocrisy really is. It's trying to be something that you're actually not. He's saying, watch me, work with me. He's, we're together. We're doing this together. This isn't, watch me, do it like I do it. He's saying, work with, I'm with you, and, and we're going to work together on this. Um, we're going to jump to Hebrews real quick. I'm going to kind of come back to that in a minute, but I'm going to jump to Hebrews real quick. And this is NIV, and then I'll read it message. NIV says, uh, it's Hebrews 12, 12. It says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. And he's, he's quoting Proverbs, and I'll come to Proverbs in a minute. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So why do we make level paths for our feet? This is the why. Why do we make level paths for our feet? It says it right after it. So that others won't be disabled. So they won't hurt others. So the purpose of us making level paths for our feet is not for us, it's for others. Now this is key. We're, this is going to carry on through the whole thing. We make level paths for others. Uh, the message version says this. Don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Now, what he's saying is the reason we need to be steady and make a straight path and we need to be consistent in our lives, not peak and valley. Peak and valley is what we feel. The trust we have is consistent, is consistency. And the reason why we should have a consistency is not so that our own lives are easy, but it's for others so they can see how our lives are consistent and then they can see the God that we serve and how consistent he is. Does that make sense? So the truth, this is, this is where I find myself in, in our, I guess, Americanized version of church is we, and there's, we glorify the, the drug addict that comes to the Lord and he has a radical testimony, we say. And it's powerful. There's nothing wrong with that but we don't glorify the man that's been in church for 20 years and has loved his wife and taken care of his kids and has been consistent. Now, these are, these are results of different, different lives. What I find is we kind of sen- sensationalize certain things that we find to be more radical than others. Does that make sense? We, we find a way to make things more important that, that aren't necessarily more important because we see them in a way that... that that we think is more important, not that God sees as more important. It's the whole metanoia perspective thing. We relate to things that we understand. I tell you guys my story, and some of you guys have a similar story. Fred last week understands how I lived without a father, and he can relate to that, and that's ways that we can teach each other, but we can't just sensationalize those, those things because that says that this guy over here who's been faithful and hasn't had a hard life or even my kids now. My kids don't have to see what I had to see and go through what I had to go through. Should they? Should they not? Should they not have a good life? Should they? Is their testimony less powerful than my testimony? I don't think it is. I think that because we're instilling in them something that I wish I would have had when I was younger. That when they get older, I hope that they can have that consistent life as well. That regardless of their circumstances and everything that's going on around them, they can say, "I trust in the Lord, a hundred percent." Even though this didn't work out the way I wanted it to, and this did. I trust him regardless. Because that kind of life will, will change someone else's life. I have to give testimony because this is my story and this is, this is easy for me. This comes back to my friend who was walking to the break room. Y'all have heard the story before and he had just lost a loved one. And as we're passing in the break room, I see, essentially I see the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what it was at the time. I see Jesus in him speaking to me. <laughs> I know it sounds kind of kooky, but that's, that's what I saw. Hindsight, that's what I saw. 
And we walk past, and you can see he's been crying, and he says, God is good, God is so good, and he walks past me, and I go, what? <laughs> what? That's That guy <laughs> that said that to me that day in the break room changed my life. That simple phrase, why? Because his paths were being made straight and constant regardless of his situation. Does that make sense? Regardless of what absolute catastrophe in his life, obviously he was hurt. His feelings, he didn't, he probably didn't feel necessarily like God was good, but he knew that he was. He knew that he was. He knew so much that he told me when I asked him about it. He didn't even complain. He didn't grumble. Anything. He just said, God is so good. And he smiled in the midst of his tears. He smiled and he said, God is so good, man. He's just so good. Think about that for a moment. Think about how that completely shifted my life. I wouldn't be here today if he wouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know what I mean? There were lots of other things in the process, but that was a main, a major life change in me that he had held on to something so constant that he, it, wasn't, it wasn't shaken by everything that was going on around him. I think this is important that we get this, that it's, it's God who gives us that, that constant. It's not our feelings because our feelings are going to fluctuate, and we need to be okay with that. We need to understand that that's okay. You're going to be sad. You're going to mourn. The Bible tells us, look, you're going to mourn. You're, you're, you're mourn with those that mourn. You know, Celebrate with those that celebrate. Don't be jealous. Don't be bitter. Celebrate when people get promotions. So there's this, there's this idea that in, in some of the churches that, that I used to go to, that you enter into his presence and everything's okay there, but then if we have that idea, then when we leave the church, then we leave his presence. Another interesting thing is it says, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Now, we've seen healings in church services, but I've seen healings on the street. <laughs> we can't say that healings, and it's, it's easy for us to say, well, healings happens at, at a great sermon or a great church service or a great worship service or at a conference, and they do happen there. But if we say that's the only place that the presence of God is, I think that we're, we're really crippling ourselves. I didn't mean that was a ridiculous pun, not crippling, lame, but I digress. We're, we're, hurting our, we're hurting our theology, I guess I could say, by saying that the Holy Spirit only moves within certain parameters. So if Gabe's not on beat, and you know what I mean? And, yeah, Gabe. That person would have got healed if you wouldn't have missed that B flat. I don't know, that's not a B flat. It's Daniel. You missed the B flat. So it's on you, man. I don't know what to say. I mean, that's what we think, right? So now not to say that we don't feel the Holy Spirit begin to stir and move in us when these guys are up here worshiping. I'm not saying that doesn't happen because it does, very much does. Or when we get in a group of people and we begin to talk about the Lord and, and we begin to tell each other stories and give testimonies, we feel a, we feel a stirring. It's, I, I've, I've felt it. Um, many of you know my story of, of the time I, I, I sought to fall, fall out or whatever. I was in a charismatic church and I thought, why not me? Why can't I fall out? And then the Lord messes me up in the back of what I thought was a dead church. And everybody else is just hanging out, and then he lays me flat on my back, <laughs> laughing and crying, and, and, and Tracy stayed with me. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> everybody else is hanging out, and I'm, uh, and, and, uh, but what the, to me, what that shows me is we don't, we don't tell God where he can move. We don't. It's not up to us. I thought that church was a dead church. God didn't move there. They're, they're a different denomination, and they, they don't raise their hands, and they don't speak in tongues, so God can't, God doesn't do it. They're dead. They're cold. Right? I'm just being transparent. I'm not, I, don't, I don't agree with that statement anymore, but that's how I felt back then in my immaturity. 
<laughs> Obviously don't agree because he knocked me out behind it in, in, the, in the field behind the church and never did in my, in my charismatic church. Never did that. Everything up, up to this point, the same way with, with any other gift that he's given me, has never been my ability to work hard and get it. It's always been his ability to give it freely. And that only requires us to give up pride. <laughs> That's all it requires. It doesn't require anything else of us but to give up our own ability. And, and at the moment that we do that, and the continuing renewing of our mind that we can do that and live that out, is the moments that we can begin to actually minister to other people because it's not by our own power, but it's by his. You've heard me say before, you can't give away $10,000 unless you have $10,000, right? You have to know that you're loved. You have to know that you carry Holy Spirit before you can ever share it with anybody else. There has to be a security that God is with you before you can share him with anybody else. Because if you feel like he's distant and he's, he's angry or he's frustrated with you and you've got to jump through all these hoops to get into his presence, then that's what you're going to relate to other people whether you mean to or not. You're going to say phrases like that and you're going to say statements like that. And if we do that, we're going to perpetuate, I believe, a lot of immaturity in the Christian community because then they're going to depend on me as a pastor or us as a church organization instead of the Holy Spirit that's within them. I mean, this is, this is big, big, big deal. I read the other day that only 10% of senior pastors of churches retire being pastors. Think about that for a minute. 90% failure rate in our churches. That's not good. There was another one, I don't remember the exact percentage, so don't quote me, it was like 78 or 80% of pastors' wives that were interviewed and, and asked if they felt like the, their husband's ministry, the church, had hindered their marriage. They, it was 78 or 80% said it, it made their marriage worse. It hurt their marriage. Something's wrong. If, if the ministry that we serve hurts relationships and the leaders are being hurt, we may not be doing it right. <laughs> I mean, I'm being serious here. I, I told you I'll talk to uh, me and Ben talk back and forth, and they're gonna, he's, he's announcing, I think, this morning that they're going to be joining us to, to tell the whole congregation. It's awesome. But when they come on, I mean, I, I love, and you guys have heard Ben. I love listening to Ben. He's going to be teaching in here sometimes, and I completely trust him, no problem. Um, but we talk about it a lot, and it's like, you know, when I asked him, you know, what roles are we going to play? He's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> You know, we don't need to have titles necessarily. We're, we'll, we'll work together in it. And it's not like any of us have some salary or anything that we're going to be fighting over. It doesn't really matter. We, 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 both, we both have full-time jobs, so it's not like that's not an issue. So, and his heart, which I love, his heart is like, I just want to help. I just want to serve. I just, just want to help. Wherever, wherever that, whatever that looks like, I just want to help. I don't want to hurt or divide or do anything. I just want to help and build up the church, Big C Church. Yes. That's why this won't work because that's your heart too. It is. It really is. And uh, thank you, Bill. <laughs> it is. I had to think about. it. I was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> You're right. Um, and so I, lo- I, I love. I, I love selfless love. <laughs> that was a simple statement. But to see it, to see it actually happening, and I see it in many of you guys all the time. Um, to see it actually happening really, really helps gain a perspective on real life ministry and real Christianity amongst a community, not just a church body or not just a group or not just a, a certain demographic. Um, I don't know. I got way off 
not way off. I got way on, just different where I was going to go. Where, where uh, Hebrews is pulling from when it says make level paths for your feet is from Proverbs 4.20. Actually, it's Proverbs 4.26, but I back up to 4.20 just to gain a little perspective. Uh, Proverbs 4.20 says, and, and this is an IV, it says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Not everything else, not everybody else. Turn, my, turn your ear to my words. Do not, do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows where? From it. I didn't read that three months ago or six months ago when I started talking about living from our heart. He's just reiterating what he's told us in the New Covenant too. He's saying it even back then. He's saying, look, everything you do flows from your heart. So if you have a transplanted heart from Christ, then everything you do flows from that heart. If you don't, then everything you do is going to flow from the other heart. There's no mixed heart. You don't have a half a heart transplant. You have you either have a heart of stone or you have a heart of flesh. He's replaced it with a heart of flesh and now his... His laws are, are written on your heart. So you don't have to look at a rule book all the time. He will tell you in the moment what to say and what to do, and you can hear from him directly, not just from me or from some other pastor or from other, some other priest. He will speak to you directly. There's no the, the, the veil wasn't torn just for pastors and leaders and some hierarchy system. The veil was torn for access to everybody. People have been massacred for that truth. People who sought to control people whether it was the Roman Catholic Church or all the way up to modern day times, people seek to control people and they don't want you to know that <laughs> because it would take away that control and that scares them because they're insecure, <laughs> honestly. So everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to and make level the paths of your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. So how, the how and why always comes up. Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we make it steadfast when everything around me fluctuates and changes? How do we not let those things affect me in, in the ways that I don't want them to affect me? And I think Paul had it when he said, I, when, he, when he coined the phrase that for some reason sports people have taken way out of context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wasn't talking about basketball and football when he wrote that although for some reason we've adopted it for sports. What he was talking about is, regardless whether I'm, whether I'm in prison with my feet in raw sewage, <laughs> I always like to paint that picture because that is not a good place to be, whether I'm, I'm, in, I'm in an underground prison with my, with my feet in poo <laughs> or you know, I'm, I'm the leader of a church or I, I'm, I'm free, regardless of my situations outside, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the same way Paul said, I, I consider everything a loss. I, he, was, he had plenty of merit on his own. And he said, I'm not, I don't care about any of those things. All those things I consider lost for just knowing Christ. Why would he say that if Christ wasn't better than anything that he could possibly do? He had to have understood something clear. So he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is, I've, and he even says it earlier in that, I found the secret to contentment. <laughs> you know it now. You know the secret to contentment. Contentment isn't... isn't what, we, what we've twisted, I think, in the church a lot of times, sorry, I just spit there, but we've, what we've twisted contentment into complacency or apathy, and that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying don't do anything. He's saying I've found a place that I can find joy 
regardless of what's going on around. You can kill me, and I'll go to be with the Lord. You cannot kill me, and I'm still with the Lord. Well, you, there's nothing you can do. You can, you can do what you want to the body, but my spirit's good. I'm good regardless of the situation. You want the secret to contentment? That's it. Christ. Um, that consistency is rooted in love. Evidenced by Peter. You remember Peter, the, re, the reinstatement of Peter. Peter, do you love me? What did he say? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Love, love my people. When we said, look to the Lord when we first started this in Matthew, it says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. How did Jesus do it? He loved people, right? When we begin to see how Jesus did it and we allow him to love people through us, then we begin to do things that he did. So when we make straight paths, the reason why we're making straight paths is so that those that come behind us can see those straight paths and it will steady their lives because their lives are falling apart too. They may have issues too. Yes, man in the top, Chuck. Man up top. Right. 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 And that's the that's the only way we can be consistent. I mean, that's it. We talk about Jesus being everything. <laughs> Jesus is everything. C.S. Lewis. I'll butcher this. I'll butcher this quote. If somebody can look it up, you can look it up. But it was when he talks about the sun, he says, uh, I, don't, I don't see all things because of the sun, but because of the sun I see all things, something to that effect. Essentially what he's saying is it's not that, I, that the sun gives me a different perspective on things. It's because the only way I can see anything at all is because of the sun. In other words, my sight was limited before I knew Christ. Now that Christ lives in me, now I'm alive and my complete my sight changed. So... He's not an addition to my life, but he's the actual source. Like the engrafted thing, he's the actual source. So by him is the only way we can see a spiritual reality in a natural world. You want, you want, to, you want to feel, feel, you want to feel something supernatural? Ask the, Lord, ask the Lord to give you his vision for the people in your life. Ask the Lord to give you um, his perspective on the situations. That are, not yours, not the way you feel, but his Ask him for his, and you'll feel some. You'll you'll begin to see something supernatural. It will be something that's outside of yourself, and you'll know that it's him. And this is what we we, we talk about this too. Well, how do you know it's the voice of God? Has anybody? Is it just me? <laughs> yeah. Is it just me? Is it just? Is it God? Is it? Is it a TV show I saw two weeks ago? You know, is it cotton candy grapes? No. <laughs> is it? We we all struggle. Why do we do that? Why do we not know? Where where does that come from? How do we? How do we decipher if it's God or not? And I think part of it, we talked a little bit about it this morning in my office. We were just kind of going back and forth. I think that God gives us room to make those mistakes, to say, okay, well, obviously that was me because that didn't work out. <laughs> I need to learn from this mistake. And, okay, now, now I begin to hear from God. His voice sounds like this, and my voice kind of sounds like this. I think, it's a, I think it's an ongoing relationship thing. Same thing with, with Tracy and I. We know each other's voice. Same thing with our kids. If, if we hear our kids crying, sometimes they're fake crying, and we go, all right, you're okay, suck it up. And then you hear another cry, and it's like, she's died. You know, she's hurt herself badly. We need to get in there, and you rush up there or wherever it is. So there's, a, there's a, an ongoing relationship thing that you have to have with the Holy Spirit to begin to hear how he speaks and the way he looks. God gives us a great book to help us with that. <laughs> and when we see this, the great thing we do is you don't take this. That's why it's called the living word. 
We don't just read it as a historical book because many have. And some of the meanest people I think I've met in my life have been people that know this book inside and out. And they've seen it as a historical book and a book of, of, of laws and rules and regulations. And they've not seen the life that's within this book that is revealed through the Holy Spirit. But the cool thing is, this is all good. It's all good front to back. It's all good. If you look at it through the lenses of Jesus, every, and that's the things that have helped me through Scripture, that, that, that I look at everything in its context. Who are you writing it to? Why are you writing it? And how, what does this have to do with Jesus? Those two things have helped me tremendously in understanding Scripture because so many Scriptures have been completely translated and transliterated into a completely different way and have been repeated so much that I would repeat them. Anybody, has anybody done that? And you think you're right because, I mean, he's got to be right. That's what everybody says. I mean, everybody says that. It's the, it's the kind of uh, from the hip thing. If you're struggling with this, here's a scripture for that. If you're struggling with this, here's a scripture for that, right? And, and most of them are, are not bad. I mean, they're decent moral teachings, little nuggets. I mean, you know what I mean? They're, they're not bad, but, they, but they're completely way out of, they're not, they don't get to the core of the issue. They just kind of help you along a little bit. It's like kicking the can down the road a little ways. And then you got to deal with it again. you got to deal with it again. I don't want you all to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to deal with it over and over again. And what that is, to, to me, that whole thing is trying to get out of a covenant that you're in and go back to a covenant that doesn't exist, a covenant of blessings and cursings. That whole cycle thing is zero fun. <laughs> I've tried it. I mean, I, I didn't know any other way because that's what, that's what the systems and churches reverted back to that I was in. Okay, well, we don't trust you enough to, to, to listen to the Holy Spirit yourself, so we're going to go ahead and put some things in place so that you don't mess up because we don't, don't want to be embarrassed by you if you, if you say something wrong or, or dress a certain way. We want you to, we want you, you know, we need you to look a certain way and act. We won't say that. <laughs> we're not going to say it out loud, but this is what we mean. We need you to, to be a little different, to act a little different, but never gave us the tools to actually do it. Only outward constraint, no inward transformation. And our constraint's good temporarily until it's lifted. Then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and that's when you see people go off the deep end because they've never given an opportunity to, to see who they are and realize who they are because they've had so much pressure put on them to perform that when that's lifted, man, I don't know what to do. I've got to do something, man. I've got to get out of here. This has been so stressful my whole life. My hope, and this is, and I saw... Who was it the other day you, you shared with me? It was, uh, it was one of the Bethel people, Danny Silk, or one of them about the sheltering our kids. Do you remember that? It was one of those guys that, and he wrote a little, who was it? Chris? Chris Valentin, yeah. He mentioned something about sheltering our kids, and I wanted to read it because I struggle with that every day. I want to protect my kids. I don't want to, them to get hurt or taken advantage of. But at the same time, I don't want to shelter them too much. They don't have opportunities to minister now because they're just as powerful as we are, sometimes more powerful because we're caught up in all the other drama of life, and they're not. And so there's, a, there's an interesting balance there that we, I don't, as adults too, we don't want to cripple each other by not allowing each other to make some mistakes along the, pro, along the way in the process. That's how relationships work. How will we ever be there for each other if we don't allow each other to open up and, and make mistakes? How can God fix some of the problems if we don't open up with him and say, I can't do this stuff, man. I'm, I've tried. I, I want to. This is what Paul talked about struggling with. I know I want to do this stuff, but I can't do it on my own. I'm going to need you to do this for me. <laughs> I really need you. All right. Yes. The first thing I 
That's true. And I said this years ago when I was a youth pastor. I, I would hear a lot of people talk about like the, the punks and thugs and all these guys or whatever. Um, and especially social media just gave an outlet to a lot of people. <laughs> I don't want to be rude. To a lot of people. And a lot of those people would criticize a lot of these young people in certain areas and within our city too. But not, not one of them would lift a finger to go into those areas and be mentors to those kids that were fatherless. Not one of them. They would sit back and complain and, and, and talk about how bad they were. And I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids that didn't have a father, and I stayed in trouble until I turned 18 and got arrested. And slowly but surely, the Lord began to change my life. But I was one of those kids that didn't have anybody to mentor me. I didn't have an older brother or a father figure to come into my life. And I had many people that talked about how bad I was and told me to my face how bad I was and how I needed to go to church and to get right, but none of them gave me the, the answer to it. They just told me I needed to do it. None of them told me that God loved me. None of them told me that, that he loved me even in the midst of my sin, that he, could, that he could change my life. All of them put it back on me and made it all about me and my performance. And I knew I was bad. I, need, I didn't need anybody to tell me I was bad. I knew that before I stepped into any church service. What I needed was somebody to show me that I had a father who loved me. And eventually somebody did through a relationship about a year and a half, two years of walking alongside me. Walking alongside me and saying and answering those hard questions because I wanted to find his angle. I knew hustle, man. <laughs> I, knew, I knew how people, I knew how conditional, work love, conditional love worked. You do for me, I do for you. I knew how emotional manipulation worked. I knew how abuse worked. So I wanted to find this guy's angle. What's your angle? What are you trying to get out of this? And ultimately, over, over a year and a half, two years, I found out he, did, he just genuinely loved me. He cared for me. I mean, what a difference that makes in somebody's life, more so than me trying to fix all their problems when I can't even fix my own self. I'm so serious. Think about that for a minute. You want to fix somebody? Show them, show them where they can actually get fixed. You, well, think about this. If this doesn't work for me because I do work on stuff. Say I didn't work on, I'm, I like to mechanic and work on stuff. Say I didn't know anything, like I was completely not mechanically inclined, you brought me your car to fix, and I tried to fix it instead of taking you to Robert, you know, Robert Browning or something who's a mechanic, that would be ignorant of me. Say, so, yeah, I got it, man, I'll fix it, and then i destroy your car. <laughs> I mean, it had a hood, I don't know where I put it. <laughs> I just got a bunch of extra parts, I don't think you need them. Transmission? Where does this go? <laughs> Those are spares. I think they're all spares. But, that, but that's the way we treat people is that I can fix all your problems. And what happens when we do that is we, we cripple them and we crush ourselves because we have all this pressure on us now that we have to fix everybody's problems. And not just pastors, but you guys. And now I've got to fix all this stuff. And, then when, and, and, and we talked about this this morning. We've got to realize that God has a bigger picture. And there may be a season that we help people. And then there's a, there's a time that we need to stop. And somebody else needs to help them. We may, need to, we may need to hear from the Holy Spirit, not just stop because we're sick of dealing with them. We may need to hear from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, I think it's time to pull back a little bit. You know, you've walked with them for a year, two years, whatever it is, or six months, and the Holy Spirit says, I think I, think I have somebody else 
for them. We don't, we don't see that. We think we're failing if we pull back, and that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes, and this isn't cookie cutter, but sometimes you need to pull back a little bit. And there may be another place or another person. You've planted seeds in their life, and now they, ha- they have opportunity to, to do what they want to do with it. Yes. That's part of the wonderful part of you know, being in a community where you have, it's not all about what you can do in that person because it's not about you. Right. It's about what Jesus can do in that person. And sometimes you're just one step along the way. Right. But the fact that you're there does have an impact. And sometimes it's that big trade off with each other because we can't do it by ourselves. We can't all do it all alone. Every single person that we talk to about Christ is trying to build a relationship as well. It's a process. Right. And I love that even the wording we've heard here that, that you guys have said about community. It's about community. Our church is a community. It's not this building or these seats or, or whatever. It's a community of people that want, genuinely want to help and love, love one another. I mean, I believe we all do. I, I, I think that I do, and I believe most of you guys, if not, I hope all of you do, want to genuinely help people. And that is the most Christ-like thing you can do. And realizing that we can't, realizing that we can't in and of ourselves do that only by ourselves, realizing that we have to draw from something else, from, from another source, and lead them to that source, that is the most mature thing that we can do. Because if, if we continue to babysit people too much, we will, we will make them babies. We'll make them adult babies. When, when, the, when the Bible talks about giving people meat, everybody talks about, or, or what, I, what I heard was, <laughs> what I heard growing, or not growing up, but after I got saved in churches, um, was, it was almost like a, now you just need to be hateful to people. <laughs> you need to shove meat to, you know, you guys need to suck it up and deal with it. And that's not what he's talking about at all. I think what he's talking about is they need to begin to do this stuff on their own. They need to begin to, to eat on their own and hear from the Holy Spirit themselves. Not just, I'm telling you this in love and I'm going to be a jerk. Because <laughs> you're not really saying it in love. You're just saying that so that you sound like you love them. Yes. So there's a David Bowie quote. <laughs> David Bowie? Yeah. Okay, so there's a quote that goes, and these children that you spit on as they try to change their world are immune to your consultations quite aware of what they're going through. So that's kind of like what the church has done, you know, yelling at you don't need to do that. And so if you just change one word, it shifts the entire dynamic. Yeah. So if you change it to, so these children that you love on, just replace that love, it will change the entire relationship and change the entire dynamic. Because if you're loving on somebody, you can speak into their lives. If you're building a, a relationship with someone, then you can speak into their lives. If you're just going to stand there and point your finger at them and wag your finger at them, they're not going to listen to you. Right. I didn't. I didn't listen to anybody that did that to me. It always killed me how he would judge, like, the sin. Like, they were so good to come in on the sin, but they didn't want to know anything else about <laughs> right. what was going on in my life, you know? How'd you, how'd you get to that place? Right, right. I don't care. You did something wrong, you, you need to pay for it. Right, right. And, and that's, a, that's a very basic structural, I guess, cultural thing that is logical in that sense. But Jesus is not logical and he's not fair at all. I mean, he's fair to himself, but in our, from our perspective, it's not, grace is not fair. <laughs> we didn't deserve it, right? We didn't deserve the grace that we've gotten. <laughs> but the peculiar thing is now that we have it, what are we going to do with it? I hear people say that grace produces apathy and grace makes people lazy or grace is, it, it gives people license to sin as though we need a license to sin. I don't have a sin license. I don't even know where you get one of those. Um, but grace does, 
<laughs> but grace, grace does, real grace, not grace that says, I, I wink at sin, I don't see that. That's not grace. That's not grace. That's, real grace is the gospel that says it's through Christ, it's through, through faith in Jesus that changes everything, that takes all your sin away so that you can live a real life now. Not, not that so that you can do better, because like I said, he didn't come to make bad people good, he made, come to make dead people alive. Yeah. He writes his laws on our hearts. Right. In us. We, have, we, we walk in his spirit. We just, that's a, that, that, that part of us has died. Right. And when we operate in grace, we just don't have the will to sin. Yeah. Right. You weren't designed to do it. Well, those those walk in the spirit, you don't want to go back. Right. Yeah. Those, those people that say that grace leads to apathy, I mean, that's not biblical because no. it says God's grace leads to repentance. Exactly. It's his, it's his goodness that leads to repentance. You're exactly right. <laughs> Read your Bible. <laughs> it reminds me so much of I, my parents were divorced and I didn't have my dad, but um, my mom, you know, did her best, but we spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And, you know, my mom would have to spank me like, oh, a million times a day. But when we went over to Nina and Papa's house, we didn't. She never spanked me one time because we wanted to be good for her. And in that environment, we were loved more than we felt. You know what I mean? We, we had the desire to do right. I can't think of one time that Nana and Papa ever had to reprimand us, you know, in a real way because we were... Because your behavior was a response to love. Right. If, if Tracy loves me and, and does her best to, to, whatever, be affectionate and care for me or whatever it is, how, in the, in the most basic sense, does that prompt me to take advantage of that and go cheat on her? It doesn't. That doesn't that's, that's illogical. Why would I take her goodness and take advantage of that and go do something bad? I like being happy and I like... Amen. You know what I mean? Like... It, it, it's it's illogical. Yeah. One one picture that I think really helps me is grace is like the safety net under a trapeze water under under a trapeze. Um, we're not intended, you know, it's, it's the it's the it's the net under the trapeze that keeps us from dying. But we're not intended to spend time in the net. We're intended to spend time above flying. Oh, that's good. Uh, so that's what the grace thing is. It's, it keeps us from dying. Um, well, I'll, I'll take that a step further. I think it's twofold. I think it's not just the net. I think it's the trapeze as well. Because it, grace in and of itself produced through the Holy Spirit leads us. If, if we're to be led by the Holy Spirit, that is an action type thing. This isn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't just keep us away from doing bad things, although it does. Holy Spirit, I say it, he, <laughs> although he does, he leads us to do better things. Not just better things for other people, although he will, but better things even for us. I was never given, this was my thing, I was never given an opportunity to see that there was something better for me in Christ. I don't even say in Christianity or anything when I was lost. I, never, I was never given the idea or the thought or the truth that God had something better for me than, than I could do for myself. No, that, was, that was foreign to anybody that tried to witness to me un, until, uh, uh, until I was 20, basically. Um, 
But we have to see that God has something better for us than what, the, than what anything has to offer that we can do ourselves. And I say it all the time, that sin is just a shortcut of what we need to be trusting God for us to have already. We have desires that God has given us, and he has a way for us to do that, but we're too impatient and we don't trust him, so we shortcut those. That's all sin is. It's us trying to do stuff on our own that we need to depend on him to do. It's us saying that our father really isn't good, and he really isn't going to provide these things for us, and I have these desires to do these things, and I'm going to do them myself because he's not going to supply these needs for me. So sin's not a, a behavioral issue. It's a trust issue. I don't trust God, so I'm going to do it myself. I don't trust, I don't trust that the Father has good for me. I'm going to do it myself. I don't trust that he's going to fix these things, so I'm going to fix them myself. I'm going to do this myself, and I'm going to create a me-centered religion, which many of us have done, and unfortunately. It's the whole, uh, I've told it before, the... The guy, the guy drives through a town and there's a bunch of bullseyes. He's an archer and a bunch of bullseyes and, and all, there's arrows in each of the bullseyes and he goes and knocks on the farmer's door. He's like, hey, I'd like to meet the guy that hit all these bullseyes. I'm an archer and I think that's amazing. He's like an incredible shot. And the guy goes back and forth and he's like, you don't want to meet this guy? He's like, yeah, I do. He's like, no, you don't want to meet him? He's like, yeah, I do. The guy's like, no, that's the village idiot. He paints or he shoots arrows into my barns and then paints bullseyes around him. <laughs> well, it's like if you have somebody that's in physical pain, you're not gonna go and you know like they have a broken leg on that and harp on. Look at you, you can't walk right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. <laughs> I mean, right. You're gonna help them get well. That's a good point. Yeah, you're gonna help them get well. Stop being. Stop having a broken leg. Right. Right. You're gonna. Help you must have done. Well, yeah. And they will walk. I'm gonna harp on what they did to get that broken well, right. leg. <laughs> I can't believe you fell. Yeah. Uh, yes, Lord. Yeah, Charles. <laughs> you can't do that. It would freak me out. <laughs> this analogy is going to go on all day if we keep going. <laughs> I like it, though. So here's, here's, I didn't even get even close to, to the end. I'll, I'll finish this later. We're, we're way over already, but is everybody good? Everybody, everybody happy? Yeah, go ahead. Exactly, and it's the truth. It's the truth because when you begin to tell people that they're righteous in Christ, if they, if they find themselves in Christ and they're righteous, people have a hard time with that because they don't always feel righteous. We don't always feel righteous. But what do we need? We need to be reminded of that. Why do we, be, why do we need to be reminded that we're righteous? Why? Because the more we're reminded, we renew our minds of what's happened in our hearts, the more we will begin to see it in other people. We say we need, to be, we, we need to be more like Christ. You have Christ. The more you receive from him, the more you can give from him. We always say we're an R&D church. Receive and distribute. All you can do as a Christian through Christ is receive from him and distribute it to other people. The cool thing is you get to benefit it as it goes through. <laughs> because 
you'll be reminding other people who they are, and God will be reminding you of who, who you really are. Because you were created to be something greater than you even think that you're created to be. Stand up with me. We're going to pray, and I'll finish. I've got probably four more pages on there. I'll finish next week, or maybe not. Who knows? We may talk about grapes. Or I just found out there's a gapple, a grape-flavored apple. Grapple? Grapple. Sounds like an MMA. (laughs) Grapple. All right. (laughs) Father, thank you. Uh, Father, we just thank you. (laughs) We just thank you that you're good and that that we can come together and we can talk about you. And and, and this is a a comfortable, safe place that we can discuss these things, Lord, because we're all working through them together. We're all... We're all trying to figure out this life and how it looks and how we should, we should um, receive your love and share it with other people. Um, so, Father, I just thank you for your, your visions, for your, um, for your thoughts, for your heart, for everything that you are that you, you, you supernaturally give to us so that we can give to other people. Father, um, you, just, you just put on my heart the, the workers in the, in the uh, in children's church and nursery. Father, I just pray right now that we've gone over and they've had to keep those kids a little bit longer. And I just thank you for them. I thank you for their heart, for those kids, for teaching them and for loving them for us. And, and uh, we just bless them right now. And I just pray a supernatural blessing on them today. In Jesus' name, amen.